genuine hero almost never thinks of himself that way, never set out to be a hero. But it comes as second nature because he has or she has the right character traits that catapult them from obscurity to heroism. So if you cultivate the right character traits in your background, you'd be amazed at the heroism you might be in line for in the rest of your life. That was the voice of Lawrence W. Reed. He is the president of the Foundation for Economic Education. And he's our guest this week here on Radio Free Acton. This is the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. My name is Mark Vandermoss. It's my pleasure to be your host here on the podcast. And uh, as we record today, uh, we've just wrapped up the winter to spring section of our Acton Lecture Series for 2017. It's been a great Acton Lecture Series. Frankly, since last fall, we've had a lot of great speakers come in to talk uh, on a wide range of really interesting topics. Uh, we've had Ben Dominic, we've had Victoria Coates, uh, Larry Reed today talking about real heroes. Uh, Leonard Leo last week was here at the Acton Institute talking about the potential judicial renaissance uh, that conservatives may see under the Trump administration. He, of course, uh, executive vice president of the Federalist Society. The Federalist Society has been instrumental in helping Donald Trump's administration come up with solid judicial nominees. In fact, uh, depending on your perspective, we either have the Federalist Society to thank or to blame for the nomination of and eventually the successful confirmation of Neil Gorsuch to the United States Supreme Court. So Leonard Leo, a guy right in the middle of things, he was here uh, at the Acton Lecture Series talking about judicial nominations. You can see his lecture. You can see all the others at acton.org. Head over to the Multimedia tab. And, uh, and just take a look at the video section. Acton Lecture Series video is there, and all of the lectures this year have been really interesting. Uh, and I'd, I'd encourage you to check them out. With that said, you know, winding down one busy part of the year at the Acton Institute, well, we, we ramp up another busy part of the year. In June, of course, we have Acton University this year. It's taking place from June 20 to 23 at uh, DeVos Place here in downtown Grand Rapids, Michigan. Got some great plenary speakers again this year. Russell Moore will be with us. He's the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, the Honorable Judge Janice Rogers-Brown is going to be with us. Uh, she is a circuit court judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. Pretty important circuit and a pretty important judge. Uh, she's going to be with us here at Acton University this year. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, Father Sirico, president of the Acton Institute, will be delivering his yearly address to the attendees of Acton University. And uh, you're going to be able to find all that video uh, later on this summer right here on acton.org. Uh, we're going to post everything there. We might even try to live stream some of that uh, Acton U plenary uh, video. Uh, we'll see about that. We'll keep your eyes peeled. Keep watching the blog. If we can get that done, we're going to do that. But at the very least, you're going to be able to watch all those plenaries the day after they happen uh, because uh, we want to get that video out to you as quickly as possible. And Acton.org has uh, a fantastic selection of videos to watch while you wait for that. So it's going to be great uh, this summer at Acton University. And, of course, the Acton Lecture Series is going to start up right up again in July. Uh, keep watching the Acton Events page uh, for more information on upcoming events uh, starting towards the end of July, kind of mid to late July, we'll be back uh, back at the Acton Lecture Series. Well, with that out of the way, the housekeeping out of the way, let's uh, turn to our interview with Lawrence W. Reed. As I said, he's the president of the Foundation for Economic Education, kind of a sister organization to the Acton Institute, a longstanding part of the movement in the United States for free markets and for liberty. 
Uh, and we're joined in studio by Patrick Edding, who is our Alumni Relations Coordinator here at the Acton Institute. So without further ado, let's uh, turn it over to our interview with Lawrence Reed here on Radio Free Acton. Well, it's always uh, a wonderful day at Acton when our good friend Lawrence Reed stops by. Uh, Larry Reed is president of the Foundation for Economic Education, uh, located in beautiful and I, I presume warm Atlanta, Georgia. And we turned up the temperature for you so that you'd feel at home when you came up here today, Larry. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Welcome uh, once again. And we're joined as well by our uh, alumni relations coordinator here at the Acton Institute, Patrick Edding. He's a, a first timer on the podcast, so we're glad to have you down here as well, uh, Patrick. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, it's good to have you. And uh, and Larry, we talked with you. You're a, you're a regular now, I guess, on Radio Free Act, and this is at least your second time. Maybe you've been on before. Uh, we talked last year, and, and you were here talking about uh, your book, uh, Excuse Me, Professor, yes. which is a, a fantastic book full of uh, facts and information that college students can use to counter some of the, uh, let, let's face it, progressive propaganda that they could hear from from their uh, instructors and on college campuses these days. And, and it's it's all about puncturing sort of a progressive mythology. Yes. Well, 2016 was a crazy year in American life, especially in American political life. And I got to ask, whose mythology was punctured in 2016? Was any progressive mythology punctured? What happened there? <laughs> it was a weird year for sure. And I'm not sure the jury is in yet on what we've learned from it all. Uh, it was unconventional in so many ways. We may look back on 2016 as uh, a very untypical year uh, that uh, whose implications have yet to be played out. So, I, I, you know, we started out alarmed that the progressive message of Bernie Sanders was resonating with people who had good intentions but weren't quite seeing where progressivism uh, leads when practiced. Uh, but then by year end, that sort of got blown away. And we settled with a rather conventional Democratic nominee and a very unconventional Republican nominee whose philosophy we're still not sure of. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I don't know yet, uh, Mark, where all this is going to go, but I, I remain the eternal optimist I've always been. I, I have to admit that when when Donald Trump became the nominee of the Republican Party, one of the things that went through my mind was what in the world is Larry Reed thinking right now? Because <laughs> this, the, you, you talk often about the importance of character and yes. honesty and virtue. And, it, and these are very important things if we want to live in a in a representative republic. Right. Uh, and Donald Trump is not an honest man. I, I, I think we can say that he has not got particularly good character yeah. uh, as demonstrated throughout his life. Uh, that's not to say he hasn't done some good things as president. And uh, that's, well, it, it is to say he's done some things that are kind of uh, inexplicable for an yeah. American president to do. As we said, it's a very strange time in American politics. What, what do you think of Trump so far? Well, he's been a mixed bag, uh, you know, the choice of Neil Gorsuch was outstanding, uh, as was uh, that roster of 20-plus uh, potential nominees that he came forward with. I think any of those that he might pick in the future would also be outstanding choices for the Supreme Court or the federal courts. Uh, on trade matters, I'm very concerned because he's uh, uh, done some protectionist things, most recently the imposition of tariffs on Canadian lumber. Uh, he's not really sound on, on international trade issues. And, and that's just the beginning of the laundry list of things that uh, uh, I don't like about this administration. But I also 
from, from time to time, I think about where we'd be if the other person had won. And uh, I think we'd probably be in a decidedly worse situation. But uh, uh, anything can happen. I mean, all this latest stuff about with Russia and what have you and these investigations, I don't know where that's going to lead. Um, I think the, the bottom line is that we probably – uh, we, we certainly should be putting a premium on the importance of character in the people we pick because uh, character problems have a nasty way of showing up later. And if you're in a, in a position of wielding great power and influence in the world, uh, you, we better pray that that person has solid character because there's a lot of harm that he or she can do if he doesn't. I, I think I've said it before on the podcast that I, I hope – what Donald Trump ends up being, you know, and I, of course I wish him all success as president because obviously if he does well, the country does well and we all want that, I, I presume. But I, I've said before, I hope that he's sort of like chemotherapy for our political system. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's a poison yeah. that you introduce, yeah. but hopefully it kills off some of the bad stuff that's pre-existing, and maybe then he can move on and we can get back to having uh, reasonable decent people as president as opposed to this uh, sort of battle that we're in right now. Yeah. Final question before I pass it off to Patrick here. We're, we're in a very, it's, it's just a very weird and unsettled time in America right now. I don't think there's any question about that. And, uh, you know, you and I and Patrick, we're all employed uh, at organizations that work in this movement for liberty, for free markets, for free people. What is our chief task at this moment in American history? I think it's no different than it's ever been. Our chief task is self-improvement, self-reform. If we're ever to be effective advocates or models for other people, if we ever want to be uh, convincing to other people, we better be uh, as good as we can possibly be in the way we communicate these messages and in our own personal character. So, uh, you know, in the liberty movement, all of us in that movement want to reform the world, but we should never forget that reforming the world begins with reforming ourselves, and uh, you'll be far more effective at convincing others and winning this battle for liberty if, you're, if what you say matches with what you do, and if you're not saying one thing to one audience and a different thing to another audience, and if you're stressing the importance of personal character as uh, a linchpin in a free and flourishing society. So to change gears a little bit, but to stay on this topic or theme of character, um, you we've recently seen an increase of verbal attacks on college campuses yes. um, of people coming to talk, but even physical in the case of Charles Murray and when he goes to Middlebury. Um, and you yourself have been a victim of this at the University of Colorado, Denver. Yes. Um, so talk some about that experience and then the danger that this type of reaction presents for, for our future yes. um, um, and what it's doing to college campuses. Uh, on a certain level, it's frightening to see this. I saw it firsthand at University of Colorado, Denver, uh, about a month ago in April of uh, 2017. When uh, I was there to speak on lessons from ancient Rome, I didn't go into that expecting that to be controversial in any way. But within five minutes of the start of the talk, I started getting disruptions from the audience. They turned out to be uh, maybe no more than a dozen or 15 people in number, but they clearly came as uh, staunch uh, leftist progressives who intended to disrupt and prevent others from hearing whatever message it was that I had. Uh, to me, that's frightening. That's, that's uh, right out of a Nazi playbook, you know, when you want to intimidate to, to silence people and to prevent your fellow citizens from hearing a message you don't agree with. And uh, that should not happen 
on college campuses of all places in the world that ought to be the safest for all viewpoints, surely college campuses would be it. And yet that's where it's happening. So uh, it's frightening and it's, uh, it requires uh, a, a, a lot of people to give some thought to it. Where is this coming from and how do we stop it? I have some ideas on that. Yeah. But <laughs> it's, it's this weird trend where we're suppressing free speech in the name of free speech. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. It's, and they don't uh, seem to put two and two together and to realize that if we ever had a general environment or regime where it was policy to intimidate people with different views, maybe somebody with views different than theirs would be in charge and might shut them up. Right. Uh, that uh, what is good for the goose may in the end be just as good for the gander. And, and I think this starts to tie in to your talk today in your book, Real Heroes, um, where you're talking about the importance of heroism. Um, so can you talk some about why do we need heroes? I think we need heroes, as I define them, people who, uh, because of uh, their uh, commitment to strong elements of important to character, and who live their lives as exemplars of strong character and who, by virtue of what they do and say, leave the world a better or freer place or both. We need people like that because human beings are always looking for examples. All of us are. We, we, we emulate our parents or we, the people we respect, we look up to them and we try to, uh, we see them as models whose standards are important and that we like to meet. So the question in my mind is not whether or not we'll have heroes. It's a matter of who will we have as heroes? What traits are we going to honor and look upon as heroic? Uh, so we've got to have them to have uh, the right models, especially to guide young people. And having uh, uh, models of heroism tells you a lot about what the future is going to look like. If you, if you ask yourself, what are young people today looking up to? What do they want to be like? What do they respect? What do they abhor? That'll tell you something about what uh, the world in 10 or 20 years will look like. And it, and it looks like, from, from a recent college graduate, and I, I'm overly optimistic as well, <laughs> oftentimes, um, it looks like the heroes that people are looking up to, that young people are looking up to, um, are more and more becoming people who, are, who directly contradict the ideas that we, that we advocate for, freedom and virtue, yes. uh, personal responsibility, humility. Um, and, and this seems a trend that keeps, seems to be getting worse and worse. Um, how do we fix this trend, and what role do organizations like the Foundation for Economic Education and Acton Institute have in fixing this trend? Well, uh, all of us ha have to be constantly at work, as I mentioned earlier, on our own character so we can be good models and examples for others. But that in itself isn't going to do the trick. Uh, we've got to also commit ourselves to assist organizations that are devoted to advancing these ideas. And you mentioned two of them already, uh, yours, the Acton Institute, as well as mine, FEE. Uh, more people who uh, believe in, as we do, in, in the values of liberty need to uh, step up to the plate and, and get behind organizations that are effectively spreading these wor this right. good word. That's cr critically important. I think it's a responsibility of people who want to live in freedom among good people. You, you've got to support those who are spreading this message. Um, and we also have to hold others accountable for their actions. The politicians you vote for, uh, don't keep voting for them if they are, prove to be examples of terrible character. Uh, nothing good will come of it. Uh, and uh, don't patronize uh, uh, anything that comes from the world of, of arts that, is, that constitutes an insult to uh, the values that we hold dear. Uh, you know, vote with your dollars. Yes. 
Absolutely. And, and so when we start to see some of this moral deterioration or, or the, the heroes we're looking up to, a lot of people then turn to the state for m- character formation. Yeah. Um, so is it possible for the state to form character or would intervention by the government be detrimental to its formation, in your opinion? I think character springs entirely from within, from uh, each person one at a time. And the best influences on that are the people uh, around you who, uh, who love you, your parents, uh, family members, and so forth. The last entity I would want to put in charge of teaching us character is government. Uh, I mean, even government that's no bigger than what you or I would want to see is still going to be an entity that monopolizes force, that has inherent incentives that, that take good people and make bad ones out of them. It's not a fountain of character. Uh, even those of us who think that some of it is necessary, we don't look upon it as uh, uh, the source of character education. It just isn't its function, and it couldn't do it well even if it tried. And, and now today, you, in, your, in your lecture today, you talked about two heroes who showed amazing amounts of character in, in Harriet Tubman and Elijah McCoy, um, and then also talking about the importance of the entrepreneurial and the entrepreneurial mindset. Yes. I um, mean, I think that's important in character development and, and also in finding heroes that have a good character to look up to. Um, yeah. can, can you talk some about their stories and then also some of the work that Fee is doing um, to inspire entrepreneurial activity? Yes. Oh, I'm glad you raised that, uh, Patrick, because this is an area of great deficiency in our society today, and that is uh, getting people to appreciate and understand and to emulate entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship. It's such a vital function because, think of it, what does the entrepreneur do? The entrepreneur takes risks. He assembles, he or she, the tools of production in the hope that uh, down the line people will validate his choices by patronizing and buying his product. Uh, well, that's, nobody knows the future. That's not easy to do. Uh, so, and yet it's on the backs of wealth creators, entrepreneurs, that society's uh, economic prosperity depends. So we need to elevate the role of entrepreneurship. And I think at FEE, we think the best way to do that is, is not just to preach at people about entrepreneurship or lecture at them on it, but rather say, here are some examples. Here's, here are real people we're talking about who, whose examples shine uh, on behalf of entrepreneurship. And you mentioned a few, Elijah McCoy. Uh, we have a video that we showed at your uh, institute today about um, Elijah McCoy, who was the son of slaves who... Uh, with very little to go on in terms of resources and money. Uh, he was an inventor. He, he invented a, a device that allowed trains to go long distances without being stopped and having to be relubricated. He didn't stop there. He ended up getting 57 patents. He started multiple companies. Um, you know, a, a guy who you wouldn't have said at the time of his birth or his first 15 years that he'd ever uh, be able to do such things, but he did from sheer initiative, entrepreneurial ability, and, and uh, all the things that that requires. For anybody listening, I, I would encourage you to go to fee.org and check out the Elijah McCoy video. It was a fantastic, fantastic video. Thank you. Um, and so one of the main reasons we're here today is talk about your new book, um, Real Heroes. Um, why did this book need to be written? written um, and what inspired you to write this book? Going back as far as I can remember, I've, I've always been inspired by stories of great men and women. And so I read a lot of history and biography, uh, have for 50 years. So maybe there's, I don't know, a little kernel of that in me somewhere that set me on that path. So uh, it's not a new thing. 
But uh, the more I learned, the more I realized that history is full of heroes who don't get much attention. So that's why in this new book, uh, in almost every case of the 40 people I write about, I chose people who uh, don't have great notoriety, or at least not a mass uh, knowledge. Lots of people don't know about them. There are a couple of notable exceptions, Cicero, but even today, a, a figure as important as Cicero from ancient Rome still isn't known to probably most Americans. Uh, but uh, beyond him, the, the essays are about people who most people would never have heard of, but they are heroes, they need to be dusted off. So I felt I was doing a little bit of justice to people and to history by bringing to the fore again the stories of people who did some really wonderful things. Yeah, and so in, in reading a bunch of the stories of the 40 stories, um, one thing, the character trait that I saw that stood out the most was the amount of humility present in each of them and the, and the fact that most of them didn't see what they were doing as heroic, but they were just saw them, what they are doing as ordinary people going through everyday life, um, fulfilling their vocation. Um, which, which I found to be fascinating. You're exactly right. In one of the chapters, I even make the point that a, a genuine hero almost never thinks of himself that way, right. never set out to be a hero. But it comes as second nature because he has or she has the right character traits that catapult them from obscurity to heroism. So if you cultivate the right character traits in your background, you'd be amazed at the heroism you might be um, uh, in line for in the rest of your life. Larry, you are, of course, with the, the Foundation for Economic Education. You can find uh, Fee online at fee.org. i got to compliment you. You, have, you. you guys have a fantastic website. Just Thank looking you. at your front page, there is just a, a boatload of content on a whole raft of different uh, subjects there. So I want to encourage everyone to, to head over to fee.org, check it out. And uh, if you're not familiar with Fee and their work, please get familiar with Fee and their work uh, because uh, they are a fantastic organization and a long-standing organization, too. You just turned 71 this year, I believe. That's correct. Uh, we were founded in 1946. Uh, Wikipedia did the math for me, and I, I remembered <laughs> it, so I, I don't want to take credit beyond what is, what is due me. But, uh, Larry, uh, the book is available on Amazon.com. Uh, I want to make sure everybody uh, remembers Real Heroes, Inspiring True Stories of Courage character and conviction and uh, we hope everyone will go and pick up a copy and uh, check out fee online thanks so much for coming in again we appreciate all the work you do and uh, it's always good to have you here at the acton institute my pleasure thank you mark and thank you patrick well that wraps up another edition of radio free acton i want to thank lawrence reed one more time uh, fantastic guy fantastic speaker it's always a joy when he comes around Acton. Uh, Fee is a, a, really a sister organization, almost kind of a mother organization. They're, they're quite a bit. They've been around a long time, 71 years this year, uh, and still going strong. You can check them out online at fee.org, F-E-E.org, and you can check out Larry's book uh, on uh, Amazon.com and other online booksellers, uh, Real Heroes, Inspiring True Stories of Courage, Character, and Conviction. Fantastic book, uh, and you can uh, get electronic editions or paperback. Just head over to your favorite bookseller and pick up a copy. It's a, it's a good read, especially for times like these. Thanks as well to Patrick Edding for joining me in studio for the interview today, and thanks to you for listening. We appreciate it very much. We'll talk to you again and see you on the next edition of Radio Free Acton. Have a good day, everybody.